Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Silent Sisters podcast, our meta and musings on all things ASWAF. We did the damn thing. We made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Little Wolfbird, and you can find me anywhere on the internet at Little Wolfbird. I'm the Blue Lemon Tree, or just Blue Lemons. You can find me on Tumblr at the Blue Lemon Tree. You can also follow us on Tumblr and Twitter at the Silent Sisters podcast. Exactly. We also have a website now, the Silent Sisters Podcast.com. So I, I think we should talk about, you know, how the Silent Sisters came to be. Yeah. Um, well, over the summer with lockdown and being in quarantine and stuff, I really wanted to explore the meta and theories that drive ASWA fans. Um, you know, just the things that we've latched onto in, in the decade now. We are we've been waiting for winds of winter and you know the last 25 years of people learning and reading about uh, a song of ice and fire um but i didn't want to do it alone so my first go-to was to blue and i'm really glad she jumped on board and is just ex- as excited as i am for this project because honestly i had no backup i didn't know who i was going to be hosting with or if i'd have to do it alone which i didn't want to do uh i was i was absolutely thrilled that you asked i i I, I can't even believe that you didn't even have anybody else in mind that no other co-host made the short list. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like super honored then. So, um, you know, there was, there was no hesitation on my part. It was like, uh, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And, and I'm so glad you could uh, provide your expertise in the recording and production things. Cause I, I know nothing. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So the name, let's talk about the name. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Silent Sisters, uh, first of all, are a religious order of the seven known as the Stranger's Wives or Death's Handmaidens or Handmaidens of the Stranger. They live a life of prayer and good works, but their order's main purpose is to prepare the dead for burial. That's metal as fuck. And mm-hmm. their whole vibe and mystique is very relevant to us as Sandor Clegane fans. Oh, just... Totally metal AF, and yes, absolutely ride or die for Sander Clegane. Uh, you know, if that needs a full disclosure. <laughs> but you know, with the Silent Sisters, you know, the concept of someone who ha- takes a vow of silence having a podcast will never not be amusing to us, at least. And <laughs> we settled on this name very quickly once we hit on it, didn't we? Yeah, I don't even. We didn't even have like a a. a- a couple names we were juggling, we were throwing out things, and then we're just like, "What about the Silent Sisters?" And boom, yeah. And and once once we came up with it, it was perfect because we figure that the Silent Sisters have this whole inside view on things. Uh, they're summoned in the aftermath of bloody conflict and drama to prepare corpses for burial. They are witnesses to some intimate, vulnerable moments in the canon. That's kind of what we want to do. Every episode, we want to show up to do a postmortem on the topic and figure out how we got here. The Silent Sisters are primarily a religious order of the faith of the seven, like Septas and Septons, but they are not dissimilar from the Maesters in some ways. Uh, yeah, they're a specialized profession. I would assume they would need a good working knowledge of anatomy and physiology to prepare bodies for burial. You know, and basically they have degrees in mortuary science. And again, that is metal as fuck. And I seriously considered mortuary science as a career path at one point. So, of course, this just speaks to me. (laughs) (laughs) I like my crime shows. So, yeah, I I love true crime. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, and these ladies are pretty well traveled. They show up everywhere in Westeros. I had canon that there must be some like main location, um, like a cloister or a, a, a convent or something, perhaps even an old town or multiple locations throughout the Seven Kingdoms where the sisters learn the ways of preparing the dead. And they, because they have to be somewhat readily available when someone dies wherever they meet be, so they have to have an extensive network throughout the whole kingdom. Now, you suggested Old Town for a main location, and, and that makes sense. I mean, Old Town is home to both the Citadel of the Maesters and the Starry Sept, which is one of the largest and oldest septs in Westeros. It was the seat of the High Septon for, quote, 8,000 years until it was relocated to the Great Sept of Baylor in King's Landing. There are at least seven more septs in Old Town, plus a mother house for training new septas, Stands to reason the Silent Sisters would have their own institution established there as well. Headcanon accepted. I try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and because they work with the dead, the anatomical knowledge must have and might be shared uh, between the Maesters and the Silent Sisters. Um, it is part art and part science. Archmaester Ebrose of the Citadel, who teaches healing, has had his students practice dissections on cadavers. Tywin Lannister's body seems to have been specially prepared in coordination with Grand Maester Pycelle. He says, quote, The Silent Sisters removed Lord Tywin's bowels and organs, drained his blood, every care was taken, his body was stuffed with salts and fragrant earth. Cersei bore from A Feast for Crows. Which makes sense, since his body was to lie in state for seven days before his bones were interred at Casterly Rock. The quarrel that killed Lord Shits a bag of gold punctured his intestines, and obviously that's going to smell really bad really fast. Tywin fanboy Pycelle wants to make absolutely sure the body stays as fresh and dignified as possible as his job performance of late has earned Cersei's great displeasure. So the quote does suggest that he was working closely with the Silent Sisters to mitigate the effects of the whole of his gut. The Silent Sisters mostly skeletonize bodies by boiling or using beetles for easier transport, like in the case of Ned Stark. Using salt and herbs may be a standard method too, but certainly for more ceremonious funerals. Now, in Tywin's case, it does not work so great, and Tywin still reeks of death and rapid decay. There's a whole theory that references this fact, suggesting that there's more at play in Lord Shipbag's demise, but that's also another topic for another podcast. And this is exactly the kind of discussion you can expect from us. We love minutia and tangents upon tangents. But back to the Silent Sisters and why we vibe with them for our podcast. There are many instances in the text of women being threatened with being sent to join the Silent Sisters, usually for being meddlesome and uppity. It would kind of suck to be shipped off to a convent and having to take a vow of silence, but I do like the idea of an order of uppity women just doing their thing and generally scaring the shit out of everyone, so they tend to get left alone. Go- goals, honestly. Yeah. So, <laughs> Absolutely. so yeah, what's not to love? <laughs> Before we get into the meat of this episode, we wanted to give a little a swap background on ourselves so that you know where we are coming from and what we are bringing I love to the that you table. Call it I've like never heard anyone call it Aswaf, and that just like it, it, I just I love it already. So <laughs> great. <laughs> we both became fans first as show watchers of HBO's Game of Thrones, and then turned into avid readers <laughs> of Song of Ice and Fire or Aswaf. <laughs> I will freely admit, I have only read the five published uh, Song of Ice and Fire books. Um, 
I have read the the Winds of Winter sample chapters as well. Um, and now I have the world book and Fire and Blood. And now that I've graduated from university, finally, I will be devouring them to help with podcasts and just furthering my nerdy knowledge. Same. And congratulations on graduating. Thanks. Um, I've read the main series almost three times all the way through, though I didn't complete all of A Dance with Dragons on that third round. Dance is a bit of an endurance test for me. Um, yeah. There are a bunch of individual chapters I've probably read 20 times over for reasons. <laughs> I, I do have the world book, the Dunkin' Egg novel, uh, novellas, and uh, Fire and Blood is my priority for this month to read. I have not gotten my hands on Dunkin' Egg yet, and I really, really want to. So when did you first get into the show? Uh, from the first airing, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had only a show perspective at that point, so I got to experience the shock and horror of Ned's execution and the Red Wedding like a sweet summer child. <laughs> then I started reading the books right after the Red Wedding. I started in 2013, uh, before season three aired. So I started watching season three like at the in the middle of season three, because I, you know, binge watched the first two seasons. Uh, one of my closest friends was the one who indoctrinated me. She's like, you're coming over for dinner. Oh, and we're watching this show. And I really haven't looked back at all. And sometimes I wonder if Ermengard is aware of the monster she's turned me into <laughs> when it comes to Game of Thrones. And we're both involved in the fandom in different ways, but we also running the same stomping grounds. It's just how we got more acquainted. Yeah. Why don't you tell us how you're involved in the fandom? Because I, I'm going to make you blush if I gush. <laughs> um, for for a long time, I was over on the um, Westeros.org forums while I was still gaining a better understanding of the plot and the characters. Um, I got to interact with some really amazing contributors that really influenced the way I came to think about A Song of Ice and Fire. And that's when I realized I was in something much bigger than I was used to in fiction. Big, big props to them. Uh, I think I became more interested in and better at analysis because of being in the Song of Ice and Fire fandom way more than I ever did in any English lit class, which I last took around 1999. So, <laughs> <laughs> But then I took up more of a permanent residence on Tumblr, which is more my jam. My blog is the Blue Lemon Tree. It's mostly meta, reblogged fan art, and just reveling in my faves and OPTV. I've guest written longer essays under my old forum name, Blue Eyed Wolf, for other blogs. I did one on Harry the Air for a contributor named Brash Candy for their um, the Pond Player Project, which every Sansa Stark fan should look at. It's great. Um, I also authored a Winds of Winter theory on a fantastic blog called The Mythological Weave of Ice and Fire that belongs to a contributor named Sweet Sunray, who was kind enough to edit, publish, and host it for me. But I also love fan fiction, too. So I've been, I love being a part of that community as a reader and a writer. I have a few fics uh, published on AO3 under blue underscore lemons. Uh, Pre-COVID, I went to my first and only con and got to meet a few fandom mutuals. That was awesome. Can't wait to do that again when we're able. <laughs> How about you? Wait, wait, wait. Hold hold up. How did I not connect that it was you on the Harry the Air Ponda Player Project? <laughs> well, I mean, it was under a different name, so I can't really... I mean, yeah, but like... Well, I mean, th that, that is true, but like... 
I didn't realize that until I was reading your part of the script. Oh, well, okay. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> glad you liked it then. <laughs> like, I, I did. I did very much enjoy it. And I second that you should check out the Panda, um, Panda Player project, project. It's very good. I am mostly on Tumblr and Twitter for my online interaction. Even outside of the ASWAF world, I've never been much into forums. They've just never made sense to me. I am an avid reader and writer of fan fiction, Sand Sand for Life, all the way. And you can find me on AO3 under the same name, Little Wolfbird. I love seeing fan art, but I am not a visual artist, so I will like and reblog everything and appreciate it, but you will not see anything visual from me. Other than fan fiction, I am heavily involved with cons and podcasts. I always attend Con of Thrones and was supposed to attend Ice and Fire Con for the first time last April, but of course, a, you know, it's a little pandemic changed things for that. Um, I cosplay mostly as Sansa Stark, but I'm working on a Lyanna Mormont cosplay to do with another group of cosplayers. We're all doing Mormont women, which is super fun. Um, as for podcasts, I listen to and am patron for, for a lot of them. I'm going to do some shout outs here. Game of Thrones, Game of Owns, excuse me, History of Westworlds, Girls Gone Canon, Radio Westeros, Isle of Faces podcast, Learned Hands podcast, of which I am the audio engineer for, Maester Monthly, The Night's Cast. I'm sure there are more that I'm forgetting because there's a lot of them and they're all excellent. Um, and I guess it's really not all that surprising that I have started my own podcast now. No, it's not surprising at all. I love that you do cosplay and that you are such a prolific fanfic writer and supporter of other creators. And I love that you bring your real life profession into making fandom com content. That's awesome. <laughs> in in a pandemic when as a live audio engineer, there is not really live music going on. A podcast are where it's at right now. Uh, we will definitely have to meet at con when we can. Um, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with most of those podcasts and I was a binge listener, uh, before I fell off the podcast wagon for some reason, I, I guess I'm back on it now in 2021. It's a whole new year. <laughs> yep. Um, so why do you love a song of ice and fire? Is that a question? Like, how can I not love ice and fire? <laughs> the depth of the world is just so deep. <laughs> uh, there is so much to learn and explore and theorize about and create within George's universe. Yeah, same, same, same. Um, I love the prose. I love the characters mm -hmm. and how realistically human a more majority of them are, even down to the smallest tick. Um, it, it's just like, I just read about, you know, when a character says something, but then there's this subtle body language that, means something completely different and it's like mm -hmm. yes yeah, sometimes people really are like that so it's so realistic yeah it's so it, relatable and you know the themes are very inspiring to me and that it means something to do the noble heroic thing or at least try to and even if you fail or it goes unrecognized it still matters and there's redemption and how one redeems themselves after living a life on the wrong side of things. There's a lot of enduring optimism there, in my opinion. But the process of changing a human heart and mind is often messy and full of false starts and mistakes before becoming a better person. And I think that's very true in real life. And it's ultimately a hopeful message. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So what are your favorite characters and top three moments? Hands down, my favorite characters are, surprise, surprise, Sansa Stark and Sandor Clegane. Uh, for their individual reasons, as well as their together reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I love all of the Starks. I'm a Stark loyalist, um, but Rob and Rickon, I think because we don't have much information on them and we don't have their points of views, I really am interested of them. The Mormonts, uh, because why not badass mm-hmm. she-bears? The Manderleys are quickly growing on me, especially Wyla. And I have always found the free folk fascinating. What about you? Um, Sansa and Sandor, of course. And probably a tie between Arya and Brienne, I think. Um, my favorite moments, uh, the Blackwater battle chapters, um, Elaine mm-hmm. to A Feast for Crows, that's Sansa's descent from the Eerie, which... Some have regarded it as just one big exposition fest with very little action. However, to me, it, it's a huge turning point in Sansa's character growth. And yeah. I can talk you a thing um, just on this chapter alone, which I mean to do in a future episode. But um, I love all of Brienne's Riverlands POV in Feast. And I lo- definitely love um, Sandra's trial by combat against Beric Dondarrion. Amazing scene. Chef's kiss. That was more than three, but that was more than three. But who cares? <laughs> I know. I um, my top. I had to break it between the show and the the book. So my top three show moments are Blackwater, the, the Red Wedding, and uh, Queen in the North. But I also enjoyed Hard Home quite a lot. Carsey was quickly one of my favorite characters, and then they killed her off. I th- I did like her. Um, I liked I, her. I thought she I, was. Great. I did like her. I, I do remember that. That's one of the few things from the show I like because now my attitude towards the show right now is like I don't know her, but but now yeah. <laughs> now that we have a podcast, I kind of have to know her. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. As for my uh, top three book moments, that's a lot harder, and I'm going to have more than three. So definitely Blackwater, like you said. Um, Every Sansa and Elaine chapter, I think there's a lot in there. Um, and the Broken Man speech uh, from Brienne is, is you know, powerful. And every fan can pretty much agree to that. Um, I also really love Davos and the Northern Conspiracy chapters with Wyman Manderly. And it's, it's so hard to choose. It is really hard to choose, but those are all great. So... <laughs> I mean, I could just say the entire series and <laughs> everything. We do have to be a little more narrow. Uh, yeah, I guess so. So, Blue, what the hell is this podcast and what are we going to be doing with it? Well, we'll be covering all aspects of A Song of Ice and Fire that interest us and breaking into some new territories we haven't engaged with before. So as fans, we just want to share and learn as much as we can about the thing we love. Um, there's, and there's no shortage of things to talk about because a song of ice and fire was intentionally written to be enjoyed over and over. There's always something new to discover, always some fresh nugget of insight to be mined out on every read through read through in George's words from an April, 2008 interview when asked if he quote preferred his readers to get very involved in the story, or if they should just read them as great stories and not to think 
and not think too much about them. He said, I think every writer appreciates attentive reading of his work. We labor over these books for years after all. Then they come out and the readers gulp them down in days or even hours, which is very gratifying in one sense, but can also be frustrating if we feel they are missing all the grace notes and little subtleties and clever allusions and ironies and turns of phrase that we sweated blood over for so long. I try to write books that will stand up to rereading so that every time you go through, you will find more to appreciate. And therefore I'm thrilled when readers tell me they do reread the books. I, George has definitely succeeded in this endeavor. Um, and the quote can be found at so spake Martin archives of westeros.org. So here's what we're not going to do on this podcast. We're not doing a chapter by chapter reread. Other podcasts like Not a Podcast and Girls Gone Canon, I think. And many, yes. many more. Okay. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to them. They're great. Are They're doing this beautifully already. We really don't feel like we'd be adding anything new by following that structure. This podcast is mainly going to be for people who have already read all five books at least once and have a basic familiarity with the plot and the characters. This is a creative project for us, so there's no telling what might inspire a new episode at any given time. That does not mean we won't cover specific chapters in the future, um, perhaps even a set of chapters. Um, and all bets are off as to what we will do when The Winds of Winter is eventually released, hopefully this year. We Speak it into see. the universe. May, 2020, <laughs> May 2021 be the year we get of the release yeah. date. I'm going to put it out here into the universe now that my official theory on the winds of winter and George's writing is that it is the reason it's taking so long is because he's not only writing winds of winter, he's also writing the dream of spring. And because he's having to wrap everything up, he's constantly going back and forth. And <laughs> that And so really he's working oh, on of both course. books. My other, my other crackpot uh -huh. theory is that they're all done and he's just biding his time for some Yeah, reason. they're just locked. Which obviously we know somewhere. that is not. <laughs> yeah, we know that's not true, but I just, I feel like someone who enjoys hurting us so much with things like the Red Wedding, I would not put it past him <laughs> to have more done than he says. That's, that's okay. what I'm going with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is uh, very important to mention at this point, so keep this in mind. Regarding spoilers, we draw upon anything and everything included, but not limited to, the published works of GERM, G-R-R-M, interviews, anything officially to do with ASWAF, the semi-canon sources, Game of Thrones, the TV series, and whatever future HBO shows that come down the road. We will also reference other fan theories and metas that are spoiler material as well with proper credit, of course. This is your official big grand, hey, guess what? Spoiler warning, warning. Smaller spoiler warnings will come as necessary, for example, when something as new is introduced to the fandom with a certain HBO Targaryen spinoff series or TWOW. But anything that is already in existence at the time of this recording is fair game. I think, Blue, we should add to this that we also will do a spoiler warning when we discuss uh, T wow sample chapters just because they're not officially published. Okay. In a book. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, other than that, be warned. Be warned. <laughs> you can expect episodes on topics like castles, battles, legends, and histories. We'll discuss themes, theories, and controversial opinions from the fandom. 
hopefully we'll be able to bring on some knowledgeable people from the fandom as guests. But one of the big things we're interested in covering is how relationships of all kinds, friendships, familial, familial relationships, romantic relationships, rivalries, shape individual character arcs and how they are an integral part of driving the plot. We really want to dig deep into characterization. And finally, considering the content and nature of ASWATH, this is a podcast intended for mature audiences. We are going to sometimes talk about canon typical violence and sexual situations. There are some heavy topics involved that won't be for everyone. It will definitely be NSFW at some points. We also tend to pepper our language with curse words, so headphones are recommended. Again, this is your official big, grand, we're not a not safe for work podcast warning, but we will try to give specific content and trigger warnings before those episodes or segments that may require them. I would assume if anyone is already in this fandom, they're probably already down with this anyway, but we just feel the need to put that out there. We respect everybody, so we are going to try and keep everybody comfortable. Yeah. Something else you can expect to hear from our podcast. Blue and I are pro-shipping and pro-fanfic. So if you have issues with either, maybe this podcast won't be for you. If you feel strongly against either or both of those things, you should leave now and forever hold your peace. Yes, we can and will sometimes talk about characters with respect to canon relationships in overtly shippy ways. Hey, we all have our likes and dislikes, OTPs and OTPs. If you don't ship what we ship or vice versa, that's okay. We still appreciate you listening, but we are going to have fun talking about what we love. So if you need to bounce out, that's totally understandable, but we hope you stick around because we think there are valuable insights from that aspect of fandom. We knew pretty quickly on when we first started discussing the podcast that we wanted to include shipping discussions and fanfic to be a part of the project. Not a lot of podcasts touch on those things. In fact, I don't think there are any. And while there's nothing wrong with that, we reject the stigma that openly embracing shipping or fanfiction would somehow diminish or cloud our meta-analysis. Shipping discussions and fanfic are just more of the thing we already love. It's entertaining, it's creative, it's an escape. It's created communities and friendships that mean a lot to us. Why wouldn't we want to bring that into our own podcast? Right. For me, writing about my OTP feels like a natural extension of a meta discussion. I get creatively inspired by meta. Then I want to carry that with me into writing a fic or banding headcanon ideas around on a Discord. Uh, Of course, we're biased a certain way, but I don't think that makes us inherently more biased in our interpretations than anyone else. I think the audience can be the judge of that. And just to be clear, if we mention a fan work related to a canon ship, we will make a disclaimer to let people know we are differentiating between canon and fanon. I think we're pretty comfortable with our ability to know which is which, and we certainly don't want to mislead or confuse anyone. We definitely plan to invite some uh, fandom creators on to talk about their contributions to the fandom. And there are many out there. The A Song of Ice and Fire fandom is such an embarrassment of riches when it comes to its creators. Absolutely. Blue started to touch on this, but we wanted to expand on why the insights of shippers should not be automatically dismissed or belittled by the broader fandom. 
ASWAP is definitely not in itself categorized as a romance in the genre sense, but Germ does use some of the same themes and tropes as romance. If you are well versed in these tropes, they are pretty easy to spot when they're used elsewhere. This is just an overview. It is too broad a topic to cover in detail right now. However, it will come up as we get into some ships in the future. So the fundamental rule of the romance genre is that the protagonist, usually a female, always gets the fulfillment she wants and the male love interest does emotional labor. That's probably a super heteronormative description, but it's very typical and easily recognizable. And we can tell George understands fully how this works. He's written several iterations of the dark brooding male character, sometimes in an overtly sexy way. Um, most of the time he's really, most of the time he's really good at that. And other times there's a Gerald Darkstar Dane, which we could probably talk about another time, <laughs> but <laughs> contrary to some fandom, fandom attitudes, George is definitely not anti-romance. One of his favorite films is Jean Cocteau's La Belle Le Bette. The theater he owns in Santa Fe is called the Jean Cocteau Cinema. There are lines of dialogue and imagery that are lifted directly from that film and appear in A Song of Ice and Fire, which we'll definitely get into in future episodes because it's really cool. Uh, George also wrote for an unabashedly romantic TV drama called Beauty and the Beast in the 1980s. He loves those Beauty and the Beast themes and enjoys using them in his writing. Romance is a perfectly valid and great way to show a character internally changing over time. Their worldview has been challenged by another person and they feel compelled to keep engaging with them. The attraction ensures they stick with it through the discomfort of change rather than bail out or run for the hills as they might in any other type of relationship. But wait, wait, a cool dude like George R. R. Martin wouldn't write about romance in a non-cynical way, like depicting relationships as always doomed to fail and love as always fleeting is just more mature and realistic view. He's subverting the romance genre, not <laughs> affirming it. Uh, yeah, there are failed relationships in the books, for sure, because that's realistic. Most relationships don't work out until you find one that does, and that's also realistic. But the problem with this attitude from the fandom is the implication that romance is nothing but juvenile wish fulfillment. We disagree strongly. Romance is a part of real human experience. Therefore, it is something worth writing about. And we think George agrees and has no problem with straightforward romance. Greater genre analysis, even outside of A Song of Ice and Fire, has historically associated romance with women and just like what happened with sentimentalist writing, it's therefore regarded as inferior to other genres. There's definitely some underlying misogyny in this thinking and fandom criticism of how the shipping community views A Song of Ice and Fire is not immune to this. Furthermore, if you search George's Not a Blog and read what he has to say about his wife Paris, there is no way you can say that George has a cynical view of romantic relationships. George and Paris met in the mid-70s. He instantly took a liking to her, but went on to marry someone else, and Paris lived in another state. In the 80s, after George got divorced, he reconnected with Paris, and she moved to New Mexico. It's been a love story ever since. He has a very adoring way of talking about her. It's super 
super cute. Even though he's had his share of heartbreak and failed relationships in his life, he's now with the love of his life who he married in 2011. How some people could think George is anti-romance seems to be nothing more than a silly, personally biased assumption. So, yes, it's it's there. Romance is real in A Song of Ice and Fire. It's valid. We're allowed to talk about it. Exactly. Look, we know how the shipping community can get. We are part of it. We've seen the ship wars, the bullshit, the bad faith arguments. Of course, the shipping community can have their own very intense biases. But as I've said, I don't think that makes non-shippers less biased or more objective. Anyone can have their hearts set on a certain outcomes in the books and that can color their interpretations. Anyone. So maybe we should address this right now. How will we be addressing problematic relationships on the podcast? A Song of Ice and Fire is one of our favorite things, if not our favorite thing, in fiction right now, and we still recognize the times it's really messed up or when we need to side-eye George a bit. Or a lot. We'll talk about the issues head-on as they come up, but our intention is always aimed at serious and fair canonical analysis. So we're not going to overlook or softball any questionable behavior from the character, but we're also not going to only approach things in a moralistic way. I think because we're dealing with fictional characters, we have a lot more room to talk about sensitive and controversial elements than we would if we were talking about real life people where the stakes are obviously much higher. Um, let's be real, just about every character in A Song of Ice Fire is problematic to some degree, and we're okay with that. Nothing is 100% pure and wholesome. These novels may feature young protagonists growing up, but this is not a YA series written with a young audience in mind. It's a book for adult audiences telling adult stories about adult imperfections. These problematic elements can create interesting tension, conflict, and drama in fiction. There's nothing wrong with an author utilizing those things, and overall, it usually makes an enjoyable reading experience, not to mention it's really fun to analyze. We're not here to let any character off the hook when they've done wrong, but we're also not here to look at the story through a lens as if there is only one way to determine whether or not it's okay to like that character. It's okay to like any character you want. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) But sisters, you may ask, it might be technically canon and worth discussing, but how can anyone actually ship things in real life that could be considered in any varying degree of unhealthy or wrong from mildly questionable to extremely toxic? Don't we have an obligation to condemn those things? Likewise, people can also ship whatever they want, and they do. What people find interesting and enjoyable in fiction is not necessarily a sign of their personal morals or politics. In fact, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt that there were all pretty decent people until proven otherwise. So we can't speak for every shipper out there, but some may just find a dynamic fascinating. It speaks to them in some way, and that's all there is to it. You might as well be asking, why does anyone enjoy a problematic story from a problematic author? How can you find any aspect of the books enjoyable if it's full of these terrible, disturbing themes and events? How can you continue to give George R. R. Martin your money? Some of the most violent, disturbing stuff in the books has nothing to do with a particular relationship, yet we're all still here enjoying the story. Why single out shippers for the way they love their favorite aspects of the books? 
It's totally fine to be squicked out by any of the canon or fanon relationships we talk about. In case you didn't know, to squick or to be squicked about something is when you realize, to quote Ollivander, nope, nope, definitely not. Whenever content is not appealing to you, but you are not necessarily triggered by it, you are squicked out. Think of squick as a term to mean, I am opting out of this because I don't like it, I am not comfortable with it, or any other combination thereof. It also takes the power and responsibility off the content creator and puts it into the hands of the consumer. You have the power to decide you don't want to consume something. Exactly. And in this podcast, we are never going to tell anyone what to feel or what they should or shouldn't get behind, no matter what our position is. We believe and are comfortable with everyone being able to ship whatever they want. And if you don't ship it or anything at all, that's okay too. We're just here to have meta discussions about relationships as they are written, if it's relevant to the topic at hand. Speaking of discussions about canonical relationships, Blue... What are we going to be talking about next? Glad you asked. Lord Eddard Stark, Lord of Winterfell, and Warden of the North, and his wife, Lady Catelyn Stark. Hashtag marriage goals. Ugh. Yes, I just want to jump in and start talking about them right now. I We have so much to say on them, and there's so much to cover. Their marriage, their love, their losses, all of it. Let's take it one episode at a time, little Wolfford. We thought Ned and Cat, who never did anything wrong in her life ever would be a great place to start because they raised our young protagonists. Their influence is felt long after their untimely passing. This marriage sets the stage for so much at the beginning. So that will be our official jumping off point in episode two. And that just about wraps up the inaugural episode of the Silent Sisters podcast. Many, many thanks to George R.R. R. Martin for creating, well, everything that he's created. <laughs> our intro and outro music is by Mastagram. Our current profile art is made by Rachel Rose. And all things audio is made possible by our very own Little Wolfburn. Yep. And you can find me pretty much anywhere under the same name. I'm Blue Lemons at the Blue Lemon Tree on Tumblr. Please follow us on Tumblr at the Silent Sisters Podcasts, on Twitter at Sisters Silent. Email us at thesilentsisterspodcast at gmail.com or check out the website, thesilentsisterspodcast.com. And that's all, folks. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. <laughs>